throughout time, you know, you look in these cities and and you've got men's sports all over the place. You've got baseball, you've got football, you might have men's soccer. But in most cities in this country, there is no access to women's professional sport. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by college soccer coaches Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. Here they are, Ralph and Ray. All right, Ray, you ready? We're going to talk to Amanda Vandervoort in a few minutes here. But Ray, let's start with this. How important is fan engagement to the success of soccer? Fan engagement to me is critical. From a revenue standpoint, obviously, these owners are in it to make a make a, a profit. Also from an atmosphere, certainly if we talk MLS right now in the women's league, what does these, these uh, supporter groups, what kind of atmosphere do they provide at the matches? Certainly on television. The television stations, the broadcast eat up seeing the, the crowd, like, like Sam's Army with the national team behind the goal. I think fan engagement is important. You know, years ago, when I was younger, Rob was younger, we didn't have a lot of people before us that had played. But now, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit older, but the young people, whether they're 20 and 30, whether they play the game and they're into supporting the pro level, I'll tell you what was interesting. I believe it was the 2000. And 14 World Cup, if I'm correct. I went to, I had to go to New York. And me and a buddy stopped at a bar in New Haven to watch the USA play Ghana. And the bar was packed. And when I say I went in there, every person in there was in a U.S. national jersey. And you could look at these people. I would say 5% of these people had played the sport of soccer. It was amazing to see the level of fan engagement in that place by a lot of people who were supporting the sport but probably had not played it. And as we see now in companies, CEOs, or people who played as a young girl or young guy, they're in decision-making positions with finances. So I think fan engagement is critical, you know, at the college level, the MLS level, the USL level on the men's side and the women's side. Uh, And Amanda has done a fantastic job when she was with the league of cultivating that and helping build what you see now, you know, at the MLS matches. Ralph, the U.S. Super League is set to begin play next year. Amanda is that will be the commissioner. Uh, what is your predictions for the league? Well, I, I think, first of all, our women's league is growing uh, at the top and, uh, the fact that now they're going to grow it from the bottom and open up more opportunities for young college players who want to come into the league, more opportunities for the players to develop because players do develop at different degrees, different rates. And I think there are players that once they get in that environment is, is, is always a, an acceleration of being a pro player, doing it every day for a living. I think that um, Amanda's plan you know, and what they want to do to grow the league is a great idea because I think the women's league needs it, the top level, to have a a filter of players to move up. 
I think our country is ready to support the women's game more than ever. And let's not forget, please, let's not forget that the first World Cup for women was 1991. And on that very initial World Cup in 1991 in China, Anson Dorans led the women to world championship. And we have won the World Cup now four times with Tony DeChico winning in the 99 in the United States and then Jill Ellis winning it twice, you know, in Canada and in France. So I think um, when you look around the world, we are the number one team in the world. And I think we have now woken up the rest of the world to the women's game where all these countries, Spain, Portugal, England, Germany, France, uh, I've all South American countries, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, I've all supported their women's games through their federations in a much better way, pro leagues in all those countries. So if we want to stay ahead of the curve, we've got to keep improving our infrastructure for soccer on the women's side. And I think Amanda is the perfect person to do this with her experiences at the different levels that she's already served the game, that now as the commissioner, I think she's ready to take this USL Super League to heights that's never been seen before. And I, my prediction is going to be a great success. I think there's thousands and more than ever of people that will support the women's soccer. I think it'll probably, in my opinion, the, the most attended sport on the women's professional side than any other sport that we have in the country. All right, let's get to our interview with Amanda. In college, Amanda was a captain on the University of Wyoming's women's team. When she finished school, she became the head coach at NYU. She then pivoted to the business side of our sport. She has been the president of the United Soccer Coach Association, vice president for fan engagement at the MLS, chief women's football officer at FIFPRO, and just recently, she was named president of the USL Super League. She's not going to like that I say this, but I don't think it'll be long down the road. She will be a big player at U.S. Soccer Federation, leading both the women and men's national team programs. She's got a great vision, great enthusiasm for the sport, and a tireless worker. Ladies and gentlemen, Amanda Vanderbilt. My role as president of the Super League is actually the entire women's pathway. The Super League, the W League, and the academy and youth properties underneath that. I mean, it's a it's kind of a, a holistic look at women's soccer development, the women's soccer pathway, and an ecosystem here through through the lens of of the USL. Are you able to share with us the teams uh, in the W League? It, well, we have forty four teams in the W League um, kicking off. So if I if I tried to name them uh, one by one, it would be it would be a, a Jeopardy miracle. How many matches, <laughs> how many matches will they play this summer? 256 we're streaming them um with a through a partnership with 11 media and uh you'll actually see we just started our expansion announcements for for 2023 as well for the w league this uh this week we've actually started announcing um additional teams coming into the ecosystem in the year coming so it's a healthy thriving league we're really excited about um you know about about the the pre-professional um, pathway. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a summer league. It complements the, the college season really well. We've um, brought in 
Dr. Missy Price, who used to be the coach at uh, Wellesley College, and she was the former president of United Soccer Coaches, like myself, um, but she's overseeing our sporting pathway. So we're really focused on um, player development, coach development, referee development, and how can we create opportunities through uh, through the W League for, for women and people to work in women's soccer at, at the elite level. And hopefully this becomes a pathway um, for all of these functional areas, whether they're executives, coaches, staff, referees, players, into professional soccer with the Super League. Is, is, is the goal, Amanda, with your academies, your pre-pro league and the Super League, to have them all connected, you know, have a, a building system? Or is it going to be in the beginning, some, some of pro teams, some of uh, pre-pro teams, some of academies, or are you going to try to integrate them all together? Yeah, I mean, I think integration is a key part of how we're thinking about this so that there is, you know, so there's, it's a, it's a pathway opportunity. It's something we've never really had on the women's side, right? Straight from youth where you can actually, as a, as a girl playing soccer, look up to the professional women in your city, in your club, in your town and say, wow, I can actually do this as a paying job as a female professional um, in my life and as my career. And, and this opportunity is, is literally right in front of me. You've got to be very excited in this new role. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's um I played soccer as my whole life. I I was a youth player. I grew up playing in Arizona. You know, when I was a kid, it was it was like a mixed bag. I was 16 playing with 24-year-olds on tournaments put together in Vegas, you know, to just try and get games. So now to be able to actually see the pathway through a, a developmental lens and a player-centric lens and really thinking about, you know, elite pathways is, is something, yeah, I would feel really fortunate in my life and my career that I can give back to the game in that way. Have you made public yet? Can you make public yet? How many teams at the top level? That hasn't even been announced yet. No, we haven't announced it yet, but we're, we're expecting 10 to 12. Well, we haven't ex announced the names right. um, and cities that we'll be in, but yeah, we're expecting 10 to 12 teams in our inaugural year. Um, and a, a path to expansion after that. So yeah, we're real bullish on it. Our owners are all really bullish on on the women's platform and the opportunity. You know, Ray, if you if you look at it, um, and Ralph, there's forty thousand women playing college soccer. About forty thousand playing college soccer today in this country. You know, all levels: Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, UCO, etc. And of which there's talent certainly spread throughout the entire ecosystem. Um, but there's only 12 professional teams in this country right now. So, you know, our goal is to, in our first year, double that number um, and create more opportunities. So, and that's for players, um, like I just mentioned, but again, coaches coaching at the pro level, executives who just haven't had a chance to work in pro soccer, give them a chance to do so. Thank you. Thank you very much. I guess, you know, for me, I, you know, reading about you, you know, I knew, I knew you, I knew what you have done, but I didn't realize the extensiveness of all the things you've done. So how was your time when you were at FIFA and that role that you had as a woman's consultant? Because that's the highest level FIFA. Yeah, thanks for asking. I I started um, my work with FIFA around the 2011 Women's World Cup. I was working at MLS at the time, doing social media and fan engagement. And FIFA invited me out to Frankfurt to the Women's World Cup final. You remember, that's the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Um, we lost to Japan in penalties. Yes. But anyway, I started in, uh, with FIFA. I spoke at the, um, the Women's World Cup. I, was, I think I was on a panel back then talking about the impact 
of social media on the growth of the game and how we could actually leverage this direct to consumer channel to grow women's soccer, you know, based on the work I'd done with WPS, women's professional soccer here in the US, and then obviously with Major League Soccer. So I went out in 2011. Um, I've been part of every Women's World Cup convention. I've been fortunate to be invited to to speak with them and at their conventions around the World Cup since. Um, but my work with FIFA was really focused on development. So I traveled to Jamaica, I traveled to Tanzania, to India, to um, countries all throughout the Caribbean. Um, I did some work in Asia and Africa or Asia and, and Europe around uh, women's soccer development. So really, we would go at that time, it was a course called Community, which no longer exists within FIFA because they've greatly expanded their women's football development like organization, part of their part of FIFA since then. But back then we had this course called Community and we would go into a country and bring together the FA, the, you know, the football association, the players, local sponsors, media, political influencers you know, in the country and I'll come in for a week long conference and talk about the development of the women's game. You know, how do you, how do you market the team? How do you build commercial opportunities? What are standards for playing? You know, what are competition standards to, to put in place? In some cases, they launched leagues on the back end of those courses. You know, in other cases, they launched, you know, national partners and sponsorships. I mean, it really became kind of this launch pad to developing women's soccer um, in countries where it was quite nascent. And so that was a lot of my work um, with FIFA. I was fortunate to stay involved with that group for some time, you know, all the way through the 2019 Women's World Cup, where I I helped integrate social media into their annual convention as an onstage MC. We were trying to uh, add some social media flair to the way they approached their kind of international um, conferences. It was super cool. So yeah, so I've done a lot of development work um, with that group and, and tied to the Women's World Cup specifically. Well, I I appreciate that story because uh, I'm I'm a, I'm the old guy here in this group. And yes, you are. Yes, you are. Ray was telling me about his Twitter before we got on the phone. He was telling me how good he is at Twitter and Instagram, actually. But he he challenged you on TikTok, Ralph. Yeah, well, he's challenged me in a lot of things. Let me tell you, man, you talk about TikTok. Go back. He thinks that's a clock, TikTok. <laughs> but here's the here's the thing that I'm I'm just amazed because you're telling us that you know you started playing in, in Arizona, and I'm looking back at 1988-89. I'm coaching the U.S. team, the under 20s, and the national team trying to get to the World Cup to make a living. I started and was asked to coach Cal State University San Bernardino in the inaugural season of women's soccer there in '88. Wow. 89. Yeah. It's not a known fact, but I'm very proud of that. And the situation for me is that uh, having three granddaughters and a daughter, you change your whole view on, you know, looking at that side of the house, the gender. It's so encouraging to hear now that there is a, a serious pathway for the women soccer players and women referees and women coaches. And my pal, Jill Ellis, knocked it out of the park, two-time World Cup champion. So on this whole thing of, of uh, soccer in America, it, it's interesting that a young lady like yourself, Cindy Pardo, who's now our president for the U.S. soccer, and then yourself, I just think the game is, is as healthy as it's ever been and, and where it's going to go for the women's side of things. What would be the, the words that you could pass on to either a player, an aspiring young coach, 
or someone who wants to ref or be an administrative person in this league that you're taking on some massive numbers here. It's mind-boggling that you're taking on this whole country of ours with all this soccer events that are going to take place in, in the immediate future. Where do you find the time to get all that done? <laughs> There's always time for the things you're passionate about. So you make time when you when you care about something, right? And 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 by the way, uh, like it's an honor that you even list my name in the same breath with with Jill Ellis and and Cindy Barlow Cohn. Like they're they're incredible women who've certainly done amazing amazing things, you know, in their careers and and for soccer in this country. So um, you know, a big acknowledgement to them. And I don't know, that's a a big piece of when we're thinking about the future. Um, of women's soccer is is recognizing you know the the past and and Ralph no I didn't know that about you and and launching the inaugural the inaugural women's team there like that's super cool and and we have to recognize that that we didn't get here you know alone and and that you know the future's bright because of all the work that that has gone in so I you know I I do think we we find time for things that that we're passionate about you know what my my north star is creating opportunities for women through soccer and for people in soccer. So that drives me. I've certainly in my career had moments where other leagues um, have popped on my radar to work in other sports. I've worked in many verticals within soccer. I've worked in data and technology and social media and marketing across the space. And so I certainly, I think I could have probably branched off into other industries, but genuinely like my heart is with soccer and I can't imagine doing anything else. So when I think about advice to give to others, it's find your North star and follow that. Right. So, so find your North star and, and, and lead, lead with your values. Because I know that if I stay true to my values and I make decisions based on the things that, that I believe and, and hold true to myself, then, then I'll be successful. And if I'm not, I know I can look back at the end of the day and know that I, I I built what I believed in, right? And yeah, that's probably the advice that I would give. Well, that's that's great advice because uh, we try to do that as college coaches, uh, both men and women soccer players, because you you have those end of the year meetings and they all say, I'd like to continue to play, Let's see if I could make it at the next level. And, and it's just so encouraging to hear what's going to be taking place in the immediate future for the, the women soccer players in our country. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about soccer advice, I mean, you know, stick like like now, yes, like put yourself in the place where the opportunities exist. And for a lot of times that wasn't possible because there were no opportunities, right? When we talk about what we're building here, it's, it's not just the pathway, it's access. It's access to communities for like for communities, you know, throughout time, you know, you look in these cities and around the country and you've got men's sports all over the place. You've got baseball, you've got football, you might have men's soccer, but largely speaking, or basketball or whatever, in some cases you might have WNBA, but in most cities in this country, there is no access to women's professional sport. And so on, on the community building fan side, we're now creating that in more cities across this country. And so the players, the coaches, the refs, the administrators, et cetera, now have the access to play and they can see that it's possible. So, so my advice is put yourself in the space where the opportunity exists and pursue it. When I left, and I, I, as a little bit of a, a uh, maybe an example in my professional world, um, maybe this transcends to, to somebody listening. But when I left um, MLS in 2019, 
you know, I was the vice president of fan engagement and I loved, I loved being at MLS. I love my job there, but I knew I wanted to be, I'd been on almost a decade and I knew I wanted to be back in the women's game and I wanted to work in international soccer. I didn't know what that job was. So I, uh, I, so I, I went to France for the summer. I booked an Airbnb in, in Paris and I spent my summer, I, I worked with FIFA helping with the, their conference, but I spent my time networking getting to know people in the international game, learning what what's the status of women's soccer around the world. Let me get my arms around this. And it led to my role, which I had right before I came here, which was chief women's football officer at FIFPRO. So I was the head of the Global Players Union. As a result of that, I checked off, went back, getting back in the women's game and working in international soccer. And now I could give back to the game in a different way. Right. So, um, but it took me putting myself in that space. There was an opportunity. I was lucky that I could create the access for myself. And I took advantage of that moment to then steer my career that way I wanted to. So I think the same thing, right? If you're interested in playing or pursuing a career or getting involved in, in women's professional soccer in, in the USL Super League here in the US um, or in the W League, put yourself in the space, call, call the, you know, call the, the people involved with the club. And pursue it because the, you know we're we're doubling the number of opportunities here, even in our inaugural year. And I I hope that people who who are ambitious, who want to to be involved, take the opportunity to put themselves in that space. It's not something that we as women do that well. We don't we don't actively pursue roles. Usually we wait for roles to pursue us. So my my uh, it's a little bit against convention, maybe against the grain, to encourage people to go out and do it. Hey Amanda, when you were with the MLS. You led them to the prestigious award, I think it was in 2018, from Sports Business Journal. Anything you want to share about your experience when you were there or anything, you know, any stories? Yeah. Well, I lo- listen, I, love, I loved MLS. It was such a great experience for me. I was at Women's Professional Soccer, WPS, the Women's Pro League, the second Women's Pro League in this country. Um, I helped launch. And as that league was folding, 2010, 2011-ish, um, that's when I came to work at MLS. I started as a social media consultant because my hypothesis at the time, remember, this is like before the days when Twitter was was crazy and, and, and Instagram, TikTok was a sparkle in somebody's eye somewhere, I'm sure. But our hypothesis was that direct-to-consumer uh, media would be the best way to develop and access a fan base because, you know, you think about it, soccer and still today, you know, soccer is, um, it has to compete for airtime. We have to compete, compete for, um, inches in newspapers. We have to compete to get soccer on the front of, you know, ESPN or, or whatever, you know, .com there is, you know, that covers sports. So it's still a challenge for us to get soccer coverage. Correct. Yeah. But our hypothesis was that Direct to consumer um, social media in that case was was um, was going to help us kind of solve that. So I started there in 2010 and went through certainly a growing process with the league. I think if you look at the the growth of the fan base over the time from 2010 to 2019, and my role starting in social media, then I you know by the time um, about midway through my time there, I was overseeing all of our consumer records, like our email database, anything that came to your mobile device, um, like if it was a push message, a mobile alert, an email, a Twitter, social media, that all came through my team, like direct to consumer marketing all came through my team. 
And then my final couple of years at MLS, I was actually traveling the country, meeting with our ownership groups um, and helping them develop their fan bases based on the data and research that that we had at, at Major League Soccer. So really kind of taking a, a, a club centric approach to fan growth. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would share is is that, you know, soccer has always innovated because A, because we've had to, right? But as a result of that, I think that we are an, a sport of innovation. And our challenge, and even my challenge today, is to innovate with intention. So that as we're innovating, you know, we're talking about a women's pathway. To me, that's very innovative thinking, but it's there's intention behind it for the development of the sport, for the development of players in this country. So we're not we're we're not doing these innovative things without uh, an intention or a very thoughtful goal, I guess, um, to get there. And I think I learned that at MLS, you know, whatever the medium you work in, you know, how can you apply those learnings to to the industry or the vertical that you're working in? Your resume includes president of the United Soccer Coach Association. Can you share with us, in your opinion, how the United Soccer Coaches impacts coaching at various levels in our country? Let me tell you a little a little bit about my time at United Soccer Coaches. I started, I actually, my first convention was 2002. I was a goalkeeper coming out of college, and it was my graduate assistantship, and I I had no idea this wide world of coaching that existed outside of, um, you know, my college program. So I was, you know, wide eyed in the Philadelphia Convention Center and realized, wow, I can learn about more than goalkeeping here. I can, um, you know, I can meet people. And funny enough, I think it was actually in 2002, I went to this meeting of a group called the Women's Committee. And I met a woman there called Lynn Burling Manuel, who you may know, eventually became the CEO. I was a, sat in the back of the room, you know, nervous, you know, 21-year-old coach or whatever I was at the time. And they broke us into groups back then um, and in the women's committee. And they said, who wants to do, you know, coach education? Who wants to do this, that, and the other? The media and marketing group which Lynn was going to run because she at the time was um, running Soccer America. She was running the group. And I said, oh, I'll sign up for that. So I went and I started doing all the newsletters for women's, the women's committee. And I was, you know, go, I was going to the final four with my clipboard and getting people to sign up for the newsletter for the soccer coaches. I mean, I was like working my, like working my magic there, trying to get a sign up list for an email newsletter. Anyway, so I, I spent a lot of time really learning. You know, I got my my premier diploma. I went through all the coaching courses. Um, and I think what I learned about the Coaches Association is how important it is to have a community of people who support us in our coaching journey. And I say us because I will always consider myself a coach and a player, even if I'm not actively doing it right now. Although I do do it in other instances. I think I'm a coach. And I, I can't like shake it out of me. So uh, in my <laughs> professional life. Well, you got to coach in every day at the USL. You're coaching everybody else around you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, careful. If they hear you, Ram, they're going to be running laps around this office. <laughs> so anyway, wait, wait, let me go back. So soccer coaches. So it, I think it creates a community in a space where we as coaches can collaborate, communicate and grow. Two things. One, when I um, when I was president of United Soccer Coaches, as life has it and spins around, Lynn Burling Manual, um, of course, 
was our CEO at that point. So funny how roles become reversed. Well, with Joe Cummings and then Lynn Burling Manual. So funny how roles can become reversed in our lives where, you know, Lynn was the head of the women's committee marketing group. And then turns out I'm the president when she's our CEO. So I think that's this community of coaches that we have though. Like we can always learn from each other. It doesn't necessarily matter. Like if you're the head coach, the assistant coach or number 18 on the bench, we always have something to learn from each other. And I love that about um, the coaches community. The one thing you mentioned there that I think is just, I think a breath of fresh air is that you, you threw Lynn Burling out and you threw coach Russo out. Mm. It's just like you work for Don Gobber who, went to the same college that I went to uh, only on a state. And, you know, one of the things that I just really find interesting for me is that as you see people go and into their jobs and they work and then you sit back and say, okay, let's see how they do and can they do it. And, um, but what I'm hearing from you today, uh, I know you're going to be successful in this, in this, this endeavor that you're involved in. And I just want to say that, um, you know, all these things that you're mentioning were the same infancy problems that when I left college coaching to go into the MLS in 96, fan base, developing it, and the mechanisms that you have to do with what you have. The problem that I see is that it's growing so fast. I mean, the men's side now, we're up to 28 franchises when we started with 10. And uh, how do you, I think growth is great, but how do you, manage that as well. Cause you're, you're, you threw out 44 teams. You threw out, I, I, I'm writing all this down like homework assignment, 40,000 women play college soccer. Yep. Um, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, we're, as you said, you've traveled the world. I think the one thing that we're so unique in America is that on the women's side, we're the Brazil, we're four-time champions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the men, we still haven't, we still haven't gotten there yet. Can you just address, like for you? I mean, I'm sure your phone and your is blowing up of people wanting favors or opportunities. How do you take care of all of that? Well, listen. If you look at the footprint of Europe, and you look how many teams there are in Europe, how many leagues there are across the continent, you've got France, right? With, and I'm just saying on the women's side, you've got your your divisions in France and Germany and Sweden and England and. Spain and Italy. I mean, the the in in the Netherlands, you've got a full developed women's soccer pathways in these countries around the world, and that's a footprint that's a fraction of the size of the United States. So, and then take into account our our women's soccer and girls soccer ecosystem, right? That we have millions and millions of girls playing mm-hmm. soccer with a pathway to college. Um, and an education, the 40,000, I think is a, is a significant number for us to actually look at. There is no shortage of need right now in, in this country for women's, for women to play soccer. So to me, growth is inevitable in this sport and in these communities. Um, what I think is critical for us as leaders of this sport is to do two things. One, ensure the player conditions are uh, appropriate for the players, right? So everything from player safety to field conditions to scheduling, make sure that we're accommodating for rest and recovery, 
right in in a in a player's schedule because it's not just about getting as many games as you can to fill stadiums it's about making sure that the players are are you know at peak performance levels when they are competing because the the better our game shows um the more fans will get and it's a you know self-fulfilling prophecy really when you start to look at at economic factors and commercial models the other thing i think is as leaders in this game and and i put all of this all of us in this category is for us to say, where do we want the game to be 10 years from now? And then we in each of our lanes can build towards that, right? So is a conversation I'm having with the referees. Where do you want referees to be 10 years from now? Is it, you know, in the women's game, is it 50% men, 50% women? In the men's game, is it 50% women, 50% men? Are we looking at Hispanic audience, Black demographics? Like, how are we incorporating underrepresented groups into some of these areas within our industry so that we can say 10 years from now, okay, and then I, as the president of the USL Super League, can create the programs and platforms to get us there. But I need the referees to tell me what they want, what their vision of the future of refereeing is, right? And and that's just speaking purely, my example there is just from a demographic perspective, but let's have a conversation around the innovation in the game. And I would love it if we had, you know, that's just one example, I would ask the same coaches. Where is the coaching industry going to be 10 years from now? Because right now, and this is why I think United Soccer Coaches, I, I believe actually that independent representation is really important for interest groups within our sport, like the Coaches Association, like the players' unions, because they can have an, an, a point of view on where the industry needs to be for their, um, for their needs. And then us in these leadership roles can help develop and and build it. So the challenge for me is not, I mean, I think growth is inevitable. I think it's going to happen. We just got to do it right. And we have to innovate with intention. Again, it's not, it's, it's like, make sure that this, this train is, is doing the right thing so that it's a, you know, it's a a quality experience for everyone involved. So you strike me from, from my background on you and then obviously dealing with you a little bit as a, a woman with very little ego. But when your career is over, what do you want to be remembered for? You know, in terms of what 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 you affected or changed, you know, when people bring up your name 25 years from now that knew you, what do you want them to say how you impacted the game? I lead with intention. I don't um and and I, I mean I go back to my roots. My my intentions are to to create access and opportunity for women and people in women's soccer. I, I genuinely believe that, you know, it's a, co- but I, I think it's a collective effort. I, I think one of the things I love doing is connecting great people together. I'd, I'd love for this spirit of innovation and connectedness to live beyond me and that those um, relationships and, and ideas and innovations that, that we've worked toward are, are creating you know, more space for, for, for women and girls and people in women's soccer. I don't envision like a particular job that I would ever want or a particular, particular like title that that doesn't drive me. What drives me is, is my, is relationships and helping, helping others grow. I'm a coach. I'm a coach. We're all coaches. That's right. All right. And this is more of a personal question that you, you grew up in Arizona. You worked for a while in New York. You obviously worked in Europe. You're now mm-hmm. in Tampa. How did you pick University of Wyoming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I was, you know what, to be fair, actually, Ray, I was, I was really late to the playing game. I didn't start playing soccer. I played, I played an AYSO season in the fifth grade. I absolutely hated it because I was in a, it was in the summer. I was like a very awkward, like, you know, stage of girl growing up. Um, ugh. And I just, I left it. I didn't want nothing to do with it until I was 13 and my friends were playing at school and invited me to come stand in goal. So I was like, you know what? As long as I'm not running around, I don't mind. I'll stand in goal. <laughs> my daughter said this to me when she was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And I um, I started playing. So I didn't start playing until I was 13. I went to high school. My first game playing um, is a, in, in um, high school for the varsity. I, I was on JV, but the, the varsity goalkeeper had bad grades. So she got suspended. So they were like, all right, you know, come stand in literally. Like I was literally just a stand in. We were playing a, a team, I think at a Nogales and they came up, we were beating them six, nothing. I hadn't touched the ball. So the one time the ball came back to me, I went to go like swipe at it, you know, and I, I stubbed my toe on the ground on the ground and the ball kind of like sputtered towards a forward. I can still see it. In my mind's eye sputtered towards a forward that was running at me fast as the wind. And she took one touch, kicked it around me. We lost six to one. That was like the first time I ever touched a ball <laughs> from high school. I was like, this is dreadful. Either I'm going to quit or I'm going to become the best I can possibly be. I chose Avenue B. One day I was moping about I was in Tucson and I went out to my mailbox. The one thing in the mail that day was a card from Tony DeChico's soccer plus goalkeeper school. I was like, well, if I'm going to be the best I can be, I got to go to goalkeeper school. But I had no money. My mom's a waitress. Um, My parents were divorced when I was a kid. And I was like, this is in San Diego. How the hell am I going to get to San Diego to go to soccer plus goalkeeper school? So I started making these necklaces, these like braided necklaces with a little, like, you know, you could buy, you know, little kids do it. They make a little soccer ball and fire it oven, you know, and it gets hard. Yep. And I'd poke a hole in it and I'd create a little necklace out of it. And I started um, selling them <laughs> like, like out of my soccer bag at the fields, you know, trying to, I don't know, five bucks here, 10 bucks there. I don't know. I was just selling necklaces and, and, you know, anklets at the time, like thinking I was super cool to try and raise funds. And then I was going door to door and trying to raise money to go to soccer, to goalkeeper camp. Good for you. Yeah. I made a couple hundred bucks, um, paid for gas money and registration. And I went out to UCSD, um, to soccer plus and, uh, met some lifelong friends who are still some of my best friends today. And I actually learned how to be a goalkeeper. And that inspired me to say, you know what, I can do this. I can do the best I can be. So two years later, I was at Surf Cup, met one of the goalkeeper, met the goalkeeper coach um, from the University of Wyoming, and he recruited me to come in. So I didn't actually sign for the University of Wyoming. Um, Kevin Blocker was his name. I didn't sign until my senior year. It was one of a few schools that was offering me. I had, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm, like I said, I didn't come from from, from money. I needed a scholarship. Right. And that was the path at the time. So university of Wyoming came through in a late in my days in a pinch and I had a great recruiting trip. One, two, three, here I am a cowgirl. <laughs> Before we go, Amanda, we did this with Alexi a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Real quick. We stole it from Michael K on his show with the Yankees. 
Most memorable moment for you as a player? Oh, my most memorable moment as a player would have been when I was at the University of Wyoming playing against Texas Christian University, TCU. They came up to play us and it was in the middle of a blizzard as it is in Wyoming. And <laughs> poor TCU, got, we were on the bus. The ref blew the whistle. They ran onto the field, <laughs> played the game ran onto the bus and drove back to Texas. <laughs> I think that was actually the first time we ever won a game. <laughs> how about how about your most memorable coaching moment? When I was the head coach at NYU, we were playing at Carnegie Mellon um, in Pittsburgh and it we were losing one nothing, went into the locker room and I for the first time found my voice as a coach. It took me a while actually to get there. And I felt that I finally had an answer, like a solution for our like tactics, but also the right words to motivate the group. Um, and we came back in one, two to one. And for me, that was, it, it, it was, of course, the win was great. But me personally, I felt like I finally had the confidence and had found, found my, my coaching voice. Last question. If you're in a foxhole, who would you want with you? My Aunt Hope. Aunt Hope. Right. A hundred times out of a hundred. Every day, Aunt Hope's the best. She would be in that foxhole with me every day. <laughs> Thank you. Let me kick it back to Coach Perez. Well, you know, Coach Reed, who's stuck in the East Coast, has never been to Laramie, Wyoming. I have. <laughs> and I was a Region 4 guy. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful school. And uh, so I could see why you went there. But it was funny when you mentioned right away to me about goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. That was your position right away. It made me think of some guys that I work with that if we throw their names out, not only were they good goalkeepers, they were great coaches like Dr. Joe Macknick, Bruce Arena. You mentioned Tony DeChico and Gaspar, uh, all goalkeepers in their own right and really mm -hmm. instrumental, just like you said, turning you on by going to their camps. Mm -hmm. And then as you mentioned earlier to our listeners, you know, Attending the National Coaches Convention is a must if you're a young coach. And now that we move it like we do, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, gives people a chance to get there. And just like our coaching schools. So what I just want to say to you in a parting shot here is that um, Coach Reed has a lot of time on his hand. I I, I have some. So we'll, we will definitely make a, a Mecca truck. To uh, where your offices are, so that yeah. we can come there. Because I know that the league office has been there for decades, but I've never stepped foot in there. And uh, I've been to the MLS, but uh, I'm excited about the two women franchises out here in uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. I think it's great. The buzz out here in Southern California is phenomenal for the for those that want to see women's soccer at a high level. And I just want to wish you nothing but the best in uh, in this. Big, big job that you have now in uh, the USL Super League. And thanks for being on our show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I can't wait to have you guys out, but be prepared. I've not intentionally, but um, but it's happened that my entire staff is full of goalkeepers. So <laughs> All right, <we're> <laughs> bring your gloves. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll provide the shooting. <laughs> How can our audience connect with you on what you're doing? Any media, social media stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, I, I love my social medias. I love it when people reach out. Uh, my 
let's see my it's all vandia one v-a-n-d-e-y zero one on twitter instagram um those are probably the best if people want to reach out on me personally but also um follow the usl and what we're doing the usl super league is um on twitter and instagram and the uslw league with our launch coming up that's the best place to get kind of the latest news and and updates because you know my feed i i do i keep it pretty personal and i i share where i'm at what i'm doing and how i'm thinking so um it'd be great i love it if people want to reach out and connect super cool thank you very much for joining us and like i said when i'm down there i'm going to look you guys up come to the office and on behalf of ralph and myself and for the love of the game we appreciate what you're doing for soccer in the country we appreciate what you're doing for women's soccer in the country and thank you for coming on our show thank you back at you guys Thanks for listening for the love of the game. If you like this show, please give us a rating and a review. Share this with all the social medias and tell your friends. This podcast was produced by Earfluence, and I'm Ralph Perez. And I'm Ray Reed, and we'll talk to you again soon on For the Love of the Game.